God, as Sean prayed, let us be uh, people who are immersed in your word, consumers of your word, uh, who can never be satiated and always desire more of your word, your truth, your grace, your reality, your kingdom, your son, your presence, your spirit through it. Give us eyes that are good to see and ears that can hear, hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word. Grow within us things that bring you glory and delight and that bring us joy and life. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, may they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be immediately forgotten. We pray in Jesus. Amen. So you remember at the end of chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are heading across east across the Sea of Galilee when they got caught in this huge storm while out on the lake. Jesus calms the storm and in the process calms his disciples. They arrive on the other side of the lake, which is kind of the non-Jewish mostly side of the Sea of Galilee, the Great Lake, the Sea of Tiberias. And there they immediately encounter another storm, but this storm is in a person. It's in a person who has become possessed by not one demon, not one evil spirit, but by many, and has consumed and destroyed his life. He lives outside of the city, outside of the walls, outside of the community, in the tombs, among the dead, where he has been chained up and broken the chains, where he has been ostracized, where he's being left alone as a wild man, a crazy man, an out-of-control man, a lost man, a hopeless man, until Jesus comes along and calms the storm in his life, frees him from the demons, transforms his life, and makes all things new for him. That's where we pick up the story uh, now in chapter 5, verse 21. Listen closely. This is the word of God. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, back to the western shore, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. Jairus pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. 
He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Jesus went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this time they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Everywhere Jesus goes, there are crowds. Word is out. People flock to him. There is a general belief and now even an expectation that Jesus can heal people, that Jesus has the power to heal. And though Mark placed Jesus in a synagogue as early as the first chapter of his gospel, you remember, we have in our minds that the Jewish religious leaders often opposed Jesus. They usually pushed back against Jesus, we see and we remember as the gospels go along. They weren't ready for his message. He didn't fit their expectations. And yet here is Jairus, a respected ruler of a synagogue. He was not a rabbi, but he was the head of some local synagogue. He was uh, its administrator. He was its manager, its director, and no doubt a highly regarded individual. And here he was pressed together with the masses, in the masses, now among the common people, with the ordinary people, because his daughter was sick, really sick. And parents will go to extreme and extraordinary lengths when their children are sick. They will do things that they might ordinarily not do because they love their children. We know this. I remember when my son Samuel, oh, nine years ago or so, was in the hospital for four days. And I was there for every moment of it from the time that he was admitted with an unknown infection that they couldn't figure out what it was until he was discharged four days later. My heart heavy, worried, praying throughout that time. I remember when our youngest daughter Kayla got a bad case of pneumonia as a toddler and was in the hospital for two days and Karen was by her side every moment ready to do anything she could for our daughter. Hoping her, hoping that she would get better, be well. Parents will do anything, of course. Karen and I have a good friend who's one of her children, a son, has a form of muscular dystrophy. Their whole lives have been reoriented around that. Doing everything a parent can possibly do to serve and support and love and work for a cure for their deeply beloved son built a new house all around him and his needs. Their lives transformed around that. Parents will do anything. 
And Jairus pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And that is faith, belief, trust. You know those are the same words in Greek. Jesus didn't, Jairus didn't possess a complete faith or a mature faith, not a whole package faith. Jairus doesn't fully understand who Jesus was. No one did, no one did at that point. But Jairus possessed some sort of faith in Jesus mixed with hope. And Jesus was glad to honor that. And Jesus went, despite the crowd there to hear him, Jesus went. And so also went the crowd. And in that huge crowd of random, of random curiosity seekers was a woman, and there may have been many women. Mark tells us about one. She had been sick, presumably continuously, for 12 long years. For 12 long years, she had bled which probably meant that for 12 years she had been weak. For 12 years she had had a compromised immune system. For 12 years she had been what the Jews called unclean. And so unable to go to the synagogue, unable to participate fully in Jewish life, unable to probably do and be a lot of things in her culture. Whatever money she had 12 years earlier was now gone. She was poor, maybe destitute. And so there could not have been two more different people wanting something from Jesus that day. A respected and presumably well-off man who was a ruler wanting Jesus to heal his daughter and a pariah of a woman who was not even allowed in the synagogue wanting to Jesus to heal her herself. And both of them possessed some sort of faith Mixed with hope. Jesus was their only hope. Jesus was their last hope. Jairus swallowed his pride and went outside of the usual religious establishment to seek help for his beloved. This woman also, this woman whom Mark never gives a name. The woman who in her shame subtly pushes her way to Jesus thinking that if she just touches his robe, not sure where she got that idea, but that she might be healed. Jairus sets aside his pride and his dignity and goes to Jesus. She overcomes immense shame and goes to Jesus. Unlike Jairus, she would have never approached Jesus verbally, never made an explicit request, never put herself out there publicly. She wasn't worthy of that. There was way too much shame in her life for that. But she touched Jesus and she felt immediately that something was different. Quote, she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who, who touched my clothes? And his disciples' response was, don't be ridiculous, Jesus. Everyone is touching your clothes. Lots of people are touching you. There was no social distancing. There were no barricades between Jesus and the crowd. No yellow tape for crowd control. Everyone is touching you, Jesus. What are you talking about? And I'm sure that the omniscient one knew exactly what had happened. 
I'm sure that Jesus knew that that particular woman was in that crowd that day. He is never surprised. He always knows. But for the sake of his disciples and to make his point, to call attention what he, to what he wanted his disciples to see, learn, and know, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, Mark says. The omniscient one. And then the woman, knowing that she had been discovered and that she could no longer hide, and maybe that she no longer needed to hide, stepped forward, raised her hand. It was me. And in a stunning twist of the story, ends up in the same position that Jairus was just a few minutes earlier, fallen before Jesus' feet. Did you see that? Did you notice that? Fallen at Jesus' feet in homage to Jesus, where we all belong. And now seemingly having completely forgotten about Jairus and his daughter, Jesus' attention is fully on this woman. Daughter, he said. Not person, not healed one, not Jew, not woman. She still has no name in the story, but now she too is daughter. Did you notice that? Now she too is someone's daughter. She too is beloved. She too matters. She too has inherent value. She too now is affirmed as a child of the king. And this is how Jesus dealt with interruptions in his busy life. Which is something that I need to hear and maybe you need to hear as well. Imagine being in Jairus' shoes. Your daughter is gravely ill. You leave the comfortable confines of the synagogue and its praying community to seek out an itinerant preacher and hopefully healer. You humble yourself in front of everyone and before this Jesus and he agrees to go with you. But then he stops to try to figure out who in the crowd touched him. Imagine Jairus' desperate impatience. The clock is ticking and Jesus puts it in park. Let's go, 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 let's go. We get so busy, our schedules get so full. We have so many important things to do, we cannot be interrupted. I cannot be interrupted. Please don't interrupt me. Not my day, my schedule, my time, my plans. The highly esteemed Ivy League professor, author, writer, speaker, and priest, Henry Nouwen, once wrote, You know, my whole life I have been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my, my interruptions were my work. In the words of C.S. Lewis, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding, regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own life or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending to one day by day. Jesus is continually interrupted in the Gospel of Mark. By Peter when Jesus is praying in chapter 1. By a leper when Jesus is preaching also in chapter 1. By a paralytic and his friends when Jesus is speaking the word in chapter 2. Teaching, expositing the scriptures. 
And now by a sick woman while on his way to heal a dying girl, another interruption which Jesus again seems to go along with. But at the cost of the little girl? It seems that while attending to and elevating this adult daughter, Jesus had all but forgotten about Jairus' daughter in her time of great need. Jairus, she has died. Jairus, dear Jairus, it's over. Jairus, she's gone. Came the message. Which Jesus overheard and to which Jesus replied, do not be afraid, just believe. Just trust, just have faith. And then Jesus resolutely turns toward Jairus' house, taking with him only his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, leaving his other disciples and the crowd behind, only to discover another crowd, some of whom may have been hired mourners by that time. The little girl had died. Everyone knew it. People do not get such things wrong. Her chest had stopped breathing. Her heart, her pulse had stopped beating. There was no longer any life in her. People are very specific, careful, meticulous when checking and confirming such things. But Jesus audaciously suggested to this gathering of mourners that her condition might be changed, that he could cause her to rise. Taking only her parents and his closest disciples into the room where the little girl's body was laying, Jesus said, Talitha Ka'um, little girl get up and the girl stood up and began to walk around to the amazement of her parents and Peter and James and John she didn't swoon she didn't move she didn't she got up in an instant at Jesus word and then Mark gives us this interesting little fact toward she was 12 years old does it matter? Which on its own doesn't have much significance, but in this story, clearly associates her in some mysterious way with the woman who had experienced menstrual bleeding as long as this girl had been alive. They were tied together. Their stories were so different, yet in some way connected, which served Mark's literary mission, among which were these points. Jesus loves all people equally, which sounds a little bit like love all people unconditionally. Jesus cared equally for all people, regardless of their credentials or non-credentials, regardless of their status or non-status, whether insider or outsider, whether clean or unclean, whether sinner or pure and holy, whether proud or humble, whether esteemed or despised, whether wealthy or poor, whether religious or not, Jesus loved and loves all people. Some of us need, I need to get that through my head sometimes. Second, God uses difficult circumstances in people's lives, including sickness, pain, suffering, to draw people to himself to open people to an awareness of people's need for God and his goodness and power. God did that with Jairus. God did that 
with the still unnamed woman. God does that with you and with me. We resist pain, suffering, difficulty as if it's the plague. And yet God has shown that he does, will, can use those to draw us to himself. Romans 28, C.S. Lewis, God whispers to us in our comfort, but shouts to us as through a megaphone in our pain. Third, faith moves people toward Jesus and faith connects people to Jesus. Both Jairus and the woman possess some sort of faith. To the woman, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And later Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Same word. Neither of their faith was what we might call developed. Their knowledge of Jesus was limited. Their understanding of Jesus was even more limited. But both put their trust and their hope in Jesus, both look to Jesus for help, acknowledging that he could help. And that's the kind of faith, at least at the beginning, that God seeks, that God desires. That's the kind of faith Jesus honored. Fourth, Jesus embraced interruptions as divine appointments, and we should be open to the same. As busy as Jesus certainly was, he always had time for what and who was at hand and we as followers of Jesus would do well to live in the same way. In the words of Frederick Buechner, God is right there in the thick of our day-to-day lives trying to get messages through our blindness as we move around down here knee deep in the fragrant muck, misery and marvel of this world. Fifth, and this is interesting, just a little twist. Jesus seeks public faith. I often hear people say things like, my faith is private. My faith is private. It's just between me and God. It's personal for me. But Jesus, notice, doesn't seem to allow for that sort of faith with this dear and broken and then healed woman. She wanted no attention. Jesus insisted that she be identified. Why would he do that? She would have been happy to go away quietly, healed with her faith remaining not only personal but also strictly private. But Jesus, while allowing that her faith be wholly personal, also insisted that it be public. Are you with me? Sixth, Jesus heals, makes well, frees from suffering, offers peace, and saves. Greek word sozo. This is more than we have time for this morning, but you must know that all of these words and phrases are present in this passage. Jesus' mission for people is not church membership or even heaven after people die, but a holistic well-being characterized by the Hebrew word shalom, peace, with regard to a person's past, with regard to a person's present, and with regard to a person's future. Jesus heals, he makes well He frees from suffering, we read there. He offers peace, shalom, and he saves. And finally, Jesus has dominion over death. And it's appropriate that we're reminded of this on this Sunday after Easter. Easter wasn't just back there. It wasn't just that annual celebration that we go through where we break out the lilies and the pastel colors and the bunny shows up. Jesus has dominion over death, and it's appropriate that we're reminded of this 
not just once a year. Every Sunday, is the Lord's Day, celebrates the first day of the week, Jesus' resurrection. Jesus has dominion over death, and Jesus raising this little girl from death is a prelude in Mark's gospel to his own resurrection later. People didn't rise from death. That's why those who were present laughed at Jesus. You're ridiculous. People didn't rise from death. And so Jesus raising this little girl was a prelude. But Jesus told those who were present then and there not to speak of this. Not yet. Their understanding of Jesus and of God's great rescue plan through him was still incomplete. But with time that would come on a hill called Golgotha and through an empty tomb. When all things would become clear. And then they could understand. And so her rising was purely prelude. And not for everyone to know about or to show off just yet. It was a prelude until people could fully understand God's great rescue plan and acted on a cross and sealed in an empty tomb. And so children wholly and dearly loved by God. Remember these things. Ponder them. Dig into the scripture in your life group or with someone else. There's so much in this passage and even more. Jesus loves all people equally. God uses difficult circumstances in people's lives, including our lives, to draw people, us, to himself. Be alert to such things. Faith, including imperfect faith, incomplete faith, moves people toward Jesus. And so... The encouragement in this passage is believe. Participate with God's grace. Take that step. Believe, trust, hope. Move toward Jesus in faith. Next, Jesus embraced interruptions as possible divine appointments. May we be just as open to the same. Jesus seeks public faith when we may want our faith to be private. Personal, yes, but also public. And then this whole idea of Jesus healing and seeking relief from suffering, wholeness, wellness, shalom, salvation, in these comprehensive ways of our past, in our present, and for our future. And then finally, again, Jesus has dominion over death. We can live in this life because we don't have to fear death. Death was arrested. Jesus lives. And so can we in him. Let's pray. We're grateful, God, that in your providence and sovereignty, Mark recorded through Peter, these interactions in the day in the life of our Master, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus, who loved and gave and listened and healed and helped and brought glory to you in all things. May the same be true of your church and your people in this place and in the world today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.